Green Left Weekly Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests, and that's Green Left Weekly. It's a people's voice committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movement. It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us. Good morning, listeners, and welcome to Green Life Radio on 3CR, 855 on AM dial, and of course, streaming live on the web. And it's Jacob and Lalita here at the home to take you through till 8.13 this morning. And uh, let's start off the program with um, our traditional acknowledgement of land. Um, we acknowledge that this land belongs to the Aboriginal people, the original owners of the land. It was never ceded. It was stolen, and it always will be Aboriginal land. And of course, speaking on the Aboriginal theme, we had the passing of um, uh, Yunapingu this week, which was very sad news. And we thought we'll pay a tribute to this wonderful man um, who had the most unique voice in the world and was highly celebrated internationally. So let's start off with this um, music. Um, I think it's, it's called uh, Jari Miri. Do you want to play that, Jacob? Yeah, we can send the can. All right, stay tuned, listeners. That's the soothing voice of Fiona Pingu. And um, I just wanted to add that I guess people haven't discussed this much in relation to his death, that he died at such a young age, and that to me, someone who works in the Aboriginal community, is a failing of the health system in Australia. Even to be able to save someone as precious as this young man, um, he was terrified and he was hiding from the medical services from some reports that I've read. It just shows that we have not been able to deal with the anxieties around so-called white or Western medicine in relation to Aboriginal people and hence the, the appalling state of Aboriginal health across the world and this is a prime example of um, what's happening in Australia to the health of Aboriginal people. Anyway, hats off to a young man who was so precious and um, certainly um, very um, talented and will be greatly and very sadly missed. Now, Let's go on to other news, eh? All right. So, um, I guess what what would be um, what would be good to discuss is kind of like you know usually at the start of the program we usually announce that you know we have some interviews coming up or hopefully two. Um, although the first one I'm not sure at this point, but we'll see. Um, but the second interview, Lali can tell us about. Um, yeah, it's um, an interview with the president of the. Uh, MAPW, which is the Medical Association for the Prevention of War, and they're um, talking about the treaty that hasn't been widely discussed, which is an important one. It's against nuclear weapons and nuclear war. So let's get on to that later on. That'll be after after eight. Yep. But for now, I wanted to read this. This is really, really important. I have to read yep. this. 
Um, the other two interviews were one was about Venezuela and the other one was about Palestine. And we had a bit of difficulty trying to pin down people to uh, talk about that. But they are important issues we will discuss anyway. But most importantly, I want to talk about all this kerfuffle over our wonderful politicians who have no idea which country they are citizens of. Mm. And this morning I heard, <coughs> excuse me, up 20 MPs may have dual citizenship. So it looks like a huge political crisis coming our way. And it's interesting because the, the, the major parties have been very quiet on this front. And the Greens are, of course, self-righteously upping their stakes because two of theirs have gone. Now, the latest one, which is about um, Matt Canavan, I hope that's the right way of pronouncing his name. I, ju- I just, it, I, this is horrible to gossip, but I have to read this. It's so um, incredibly um, interesting. Because well, Matt Canavan was described by the um, nationals leader, Barnaby Joyce, as like this. He was saying that he was incredibly competent and, in, and an exemplar person. It was all completely different from their situation. Uh, as compared to the Greens, who they didn't say much about. And Joyce said that Carnarvon's family had discussed getting Italian citizenship in 2005. So let's look at the history. He sees this exemplary person and the wonderful family. The interesting thing is two former accountant managers stole $1.5 million from Nestle Australia and was sentenced to seven and a half years jail. And the name of the one of them is Brian Mitchell Carnarvon, and he was 46. And Michelle, um, no, sorry, and and Philip Gardner, 41, both pleaded guilty in the Brisbane District Court to dishonestly apply to their own use $703,000 and $984, and dishonestly obtaining property to the value of 800. $75,000 between January 2001 and May 2004. Carnarvon was a senior accountant manager and Gardner an accountant manager in the company's beverage confession division. Not that I have much sympathy for Nestle. Um, they're one of the worst companies in the world that have caused the death of millions of babies around the world. So between 2001 and 2004, Brian Carnarvon, that's Matt Carnarvon's father, along with two other men, stole $1.6 million from Nestle. And the employer at that time, um, in 2006, sorry, say that again, and that was in 2006, yeah. And at that time, Matt's mother applied for citizenship. Brian was in the middle of being prosecuted for this offense and would presumably have had to surrender his Australian passport. And, of course, maybe someone should ask this guy whether his spousal Italian, he has a spousal Italian citizenship. So according to, the, to, to Channel 9, he, Matt was 25 years old, and his mum not only applied for herself to become an Italian citizen, she also applied for him. So at 25, he's an adult. Surely he would have had to sign the papers to um, apply for the citizenship and get his passport. This whole kerfuffle seems just so obviously distorted and misrepresented. And Carnarvon, unlike the, uh, the two Greens, have refused to vacate the Senate and how exemplar of him. And meanwhile, the mainstream media, scathing about the Greens last week, seem to have adopted a rather different tone in report, reporting on premature political demise of Government, uh, government minister. And of course, a couple of nights ago, ABC said, for example, political reporter Andrew Probin backed 
up Barnaby Colin Canavan, a very good minister. Extremely competent, very good. Despite his $5 billion North Australian infrastructure fund, which is called Naive, uh, not having signed off on a single project, despite him appointing his personal friends to the Naive board, along with people with serious conflicts of interest, despite him spending his entire time lobbying for the fossil fuel industry, particularly the preposterous Adani Carmichael megamine, reef killer in central Queensland, despite him trying to funnel one billion naive money to Adani, as well as plumbing for taxpayers to bankroll private gas exploration. I had to get that out of my system. It is so despicable. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that, that it just made me insane to think that this guy is defended so much by the mainstream media and he's, he's got a family history of corruption there. And, mm. and this, this, this pleading of innocence, oh, I didn't know my mum made me innocent. At 25, you don't know your mum applied? Yeah. Well, I think, um, I think my opinion is that really... Um, it's kind of fascinating to to kind of see the kind of hypo- hypocrisy coming from these right wing politicians that you know you know they're all too keen to basically go ha ha at the Greens um, when you know these Green senators were found to be dual citizens but you know when they're when they're basically <laughs> a, um, you know attacked by the same law um, law then you know they're kind of like a bit. They're coy. They're very coy, aren't yeah. they? But I think <laughs> the quiet. important point, I think, is really, um, regard, even if it happens to a right-wing politician, I still think, you know, the Constitution as it is, you know... It's, it's wrong. Rare, I it's agree. Right, I agree. But I think, you know, these politicians should be caught out, you know, for their hypocrisy and for what they are and for what it is. Um, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not arguing about the fact that, you know, this is a silly um, clause in the Constitution, but... The way they're behaving mm. and the way the media is responding to them, how differently they treat the Greens to the mainstream mm. politicians, that's what disgusts me. You know, yeah. it's just appalling. It's definitely, um, you know, I, I have a big kind of news story I think we should discuss, but I've got to play a quick announcement first. The Australian Unemployed Workers Union invites you all to a rousing Jam for Jobs and Justice concert on Sunday, July 30, featuring the Horn Stars, Reds Under the Bed and Moreland City Marching Band at the Bella Union Bar, Trades Hall, Carlton, from 2 to 5pm. For tickets, phone 9650 or book online at bellaunion.com.au. $15 full, $10 concession. Raffles and prizes are part of the deal. For more info, contact unemployedworkersunion.com. Help protect the rights and dignity of unemployed workers and pensioners. Get along to Jobs and Justice. Bella Union, Sunday, July 30. to make one announcement really quickly before you go. Yep. Okay. All right, listeners, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio on the 855 AM. And I I just quickly want to let uh, listeners know that that, um, bit of ritual that I I let out about the Carnarvon family is actually not my invention. It's it's, uh, um, news that I gathered, and uh, most of it came from an online magazine called Independent Australia. Okay, so I um, just wanted to talk about um, this particular, many listeners, um, probably a number of listeners have been following this quite closely, um, but there is going to be um, rallies calling for justice um, for Elijah, um, who, you know, for listeners who don't know, was, you know, an Aboriginal teenager who last August 
um, was ran over and killed um, by a man um, in um, WA. Um, basically, the case was, um, from my understanding, this man, he was directed to go by the police to go, um, looking for his stolen bike um, in some particular area. He was directed to go to this area in WA, and then he saw the young Aboriginal boy, Elijah, riding past on his motorbike, and he basically presumed he was the, the, the one who stole his bike and then proceeded to, you know, basically run over him and kill him. Um, but, you know, what happened in the case um, is he's been, he was put on trial, the man, who appears to be unnamed, um, he, but he was in a, an all-white jury. He was never charged with murder, um, but was cleared. You know, you'd think that, you know, he would at least get, in this case, you know, in a truly just society, he would should be charged with murder. But you think in a society like, mm. you know, Australia, where apparently we have a fair, reasonably fair legal Dem- system. Democratic country, um, <laughs> He would be charged with manslaughter. But no, he was actually cleared of manslaughter by the Serene Court jury and then convicted him of a lesser charge of dangerous driving co- causing death. And then he was given a three-year jail term but could be released on parole by February. Um, and so clearly this is absolutely disgraceful. And of course, um, you know, the Aboriginal community is absolutely outraged and has a right to be. And of course, all around the country. We all should be. Well, we all should be actually. Um, we, and there is rallies being called. Um, there was a rally in Brisbane, I think just yesterday or the day before, um, where there was basically over 400 people blocked the intersection. Um, there'll be a rally today organised by Warriors of Aboriginal Resistance at 4pm at the Parliament House. So, you know, I highly encourage, you know, everyone, yes. you know, who wants to demand justice, um, you know, should, you know, should go to this rally um, and go to and any listeners who are listening outside Melbourne should um, check your, check for any rallies that are going on in your area. Mm. It's, a, it's a disgrace because what they think is just because it happened in Kalanguli, they can sweep it under the carpet. And you find the further out you go from the cities, the worse the Aboriginal community is treated. And this is just outright blatant racism from top mm. to bottom. And um, you can kind of see it like, um, I just got just a bit of an anecdote here. I was going around State Melbourne and there were some posters put up for um, the Justice for Elijah rally. And I noticed that two hours later, they were basically ripped down, like deliberately ripped down by probably a, not the not the actual council, because if the council ripped it down, it would be completely removed. Mm. Um, but it was actually partially removed, which indicates that you know someone doing it in a hurry found it found it quite offensive that you know there are people standing up for the rights of a, a black fella. They can't handle that. Yeah, it's just um, yeah, because I think. Important to acknowledge that Australia is actually is a deeply racist country, <laughs> and it's also I think quite telling. There's you know there's some interesting comments on social media, yeah, where you know mostly white people, yeah, I think it's just white people really, um, who are basically sort of having this sympathy for the man, um, because oh yes, imagine I could imagine if I was in that situation. If my bike was stolen, I could get really angry. Like, yes, angry enough to kill a 12-year-old For a bloody boy. bike? Uh, it's, it's absolutely disgraceful. And there's actually 
to be clear, there's absolutely no evidence that the, he even stole the bike to begin with. So, so sad, isn't it? It's absolutely disgraceful. Mm. So, yeah, I kindly encourage listeners to um, go to the rally today at 4pm at the Parliament House. Um, but, yeah, that's... And um, it's just part of the continuing injustice um, that happens to uh, Aboriginal children in particular and Aboriginal people. All right, so I'll just play a quick announcement. We can move to the um, next to another news story. My name is Selva Cooler Chelvin, and I am fighting for my life. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have to flee your own country, spend days or weeks in a leaky boat on dangerous rolling seas, and then arrive in a new country where you are terrorised even more? Well, that's the life confronting millions of people in this world who have no choice but to seek asylum. All these people want is a fair go, but here in Australia, our government, in our name, treats these desperate people with cruelty and inhumanity. Here at 3CR, we aim to give these people a voice, a chance to speak out and let you know that they are just like us, people with hopes and aspirations, people who deserve to be treated as we would expect to be treated if we found ourselves in this position. Refugee Radio is the voice of refugees. 10am every Sunday at 3CR 855 on the AM dial. To say I'm not a worthless human being Cause no one needs a worthless human being My family need a worthwhile human being Okay, okay. welcome back listeners You're listening to Green Left Radio um, at 3CL, of course, 855 on your AM dial and streaming live on the web. And, of course, if you want to catch up with programs, you can listen to the podcast. Yeah, so um, now another news story um, to discuss is this is um, in the latest Green Left Weekly. Um, this is in relation to um, this whole issue of basically many, some listeners might know that um, Malcolm Turnbull is considering this sort of consolidation of consolidation consolidation yeah. of um of the immigration department and the security apparatus and the police apparatus basically all the um sort of state apparatuses um by making basically making this super ministry of um that is headed um new home affairs portfolio described as a super security ministry that the Australian Federal Police, ASIO and Border Force would all report to. And of course, this new super, um, super ministry would subsume the Immigration Department. So basically, it will make there'll be no need for an Immigration Department um, if this goes through. And <coughs> There's no more Immigration Department. That's just the fascinating part about it. They've abolished the Immigration Department and it, it now becomes World Security under the Home Affairs Minister, which yep. is the first one. And it's um, led by, of course, Peter oh, Dunsett. <coughs> oh, the fascist. <laughs> I shouldn't say that, but it certainly sounds like it. And so, really, one of the most interesting things, and this is what kind of Tony Iltis, um, in his article analyzes, is basically a lot of these, um, this move towards a super ministry is really just, uh, an attempt to attack our civil liberties. Um, it's basically, and it's predated on this pretense of this existential threat of terrorism. Um, that Australia is apparently, you know, apparently Australia is basically at the peak of you know, 
being threatened by terrorists. There's a, like a bombing every three months or something. But that's actually not the reality because, you know, this is despite the number of terrorist attacks in Australia are, are negligible and, you know, government er- policy in other areas suggesting that their passion to keep people in, um, in Australia safe is false. And, of course, the reality is, as Tony Iltis writes here, in Australia more people are killed by domestic violence in a month than have ever been killed by terrorists, yet the government is cutting, you know, funding to, you know, help um, women's shelters... Um, legal to, assistance legal systems failed yeah. to address the police and ju- um, ju- response even the whole attitude to its seriously and shown consistent hostility to any moves to tackle the sexist ideologies responsible that's right and of course there's all Tony Otis also points out workplace deaths are an even greater killer but then you have the government um, response is to criminalise the CFMEU and other unions for trying to enforce health and safety standards I have to read this. The um, independent minister in Tassie, Andrew Wilkie, has uh, described this announcement as alarming and said that Dutton's new super security ministry represented more of a threat than terrorists. That's that's quite a statement to make by another minister. It's just amazing how, you know, that a man who, sorry to to just interrupt there, um, uh, Jacob, but Dutton has excelled. In, in inflexibility, he he's administering policies that separate families, deport refugees um, to danger and leave thousands languishing in hellish concentration camps or living in limbo in the community without rights or, or, or work, um, education, welfare or access to medical services. He, he also excels in forcing a veil of secrecy over the department's activities. He has outdone previous immigration ministers in his racist attacks to, on refugees, for example, managing in a single sentence to accuse them of both taking Australians' jobs and languishing on unemployment benefits. The implication that refugees are security threat is a constant theme. In other words, every migrant who comes to Australia is a threat. Mm. That's, that's what this portfolio represents, and, and that's a message it is sending out to the world. Anyone who comes to Australia who's not white and English are a threat to Australia. That's what mm. it means. You I know, think the, it, um, which one, of is more, attacks. one of the more interesting, I think the the most disturbing immigration is it um, implication. I was just about to say immigration after the word. <laughs> after the word is basically it's sort of this increased militarization of our immigration department, and, and it almost makes me think. You know, it's almost going to this slippery slope of, you know, basically we're going to become this. Well, we already are to a certain extent. Yes. This heavy military. We're basically living in fortress Australia, like a heavy mm. militarized. Australia that basically is willing to, you know, shoot anyone who we don't want to, we don't want coming into our country. Hey, you know, of course they don't do that, but they see, but they do do something like, you know, they send, re- they're sending refugees, people we don't want in this country, to, you know, detention camps and and offshore detention camps. You know, basically sending this message that you aren't welcome here. Um, so this is, I think, you know. For all activists out here, this is something that, you know, should be opposed. We, and really it does actually show the kind of logical outcome of when you allow the government, 
you know, to get away with, you know, this bipartisan cruelty towards refugees. It actually means an attack on our civil liberties. And these just not refugees, immigration as a whole. Yeah. This, is like, this is a completely amazing, contradictory um, policy they're adopting because this country was built on immigration. And yet here you have this guy who who's such a uh, extreme right wing guy who to me you know somehow <laughs> thinking about this reminds me of the the policies Duarte is um, implementing in in the Philippines and also now Indonesia where shoot on sight mm. in other words you know you make the decision you destroy people at will mm. and that's what this is about the the flavor of of the attitude the the policy the direction everything points to similar dictatorial. Um, decision making by people with guns. Mm. That's what it means. But I think the reality is, um, re- you get to attack on our civil liberties. They use these, this whole, immigra- um, these fear of refugees as actually pretense to, you know, yeah. empower the state apparatus, you know, the same state apparatus which can be used to repress, you know, social movements and, um, any form of dissent, um, you know, goes hand in hand with, you know, the attacks on unions, um, because basically it shows there's this link, you know, that it's actually in the union's best interests um, to fight against, you know, the um, detention regime, because if you allow the government to get away with it, well, it's going to lead to you being attacked as well. Hmm. Um, Now, just one last point, I think, that Tony Iltis includes in the article is basically, you know, the response of Labor has been kind of like, you know, to taunt Turnbull yeah. um, for being, you know, for caving into this extreme right wing. But at the same time, Labor actually, the problem is Labor actually acknowledge that there is a threat of terrorism and that we have to do something about it, um, which is in se- which is basically indicates that, you know, their cruelty re- to refugees and sacrificing civil liberties in the name of national security still remains bipartisan politics because... They ba- both major parties accept this premise that there is this existential threat to terrorism, which doesn't actually exist. Um, and you, you can hear the comments from Bill Shorten, who still goes mm. on about mm. this whole national security. It's vying for for conservative votes. That's what this is all about. And and uh, you know appealing to workers who are disenfranchised, are unemployed, um, and putting the blame on immigrants and refugees, and, and it just. Building up a picture where it, it paints refugees and migrants as demons, really. But shall we have a quick break before? I want to talk about Venezuela. We, we're nope. supposed to be interviewing somebody, but I don't know if that person's going to be here. Yeah, so we'll quickly. Um, listeners, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. Stay tuned for this announcement. 3CR are selling Kofia Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. That's interesting. That's Saturday. So in, in this week's uh, Green Left Week, this article by Laura Baron Friedman, um, artists and activists have pushed back against English rock band Radiohead 
I'm trying to think what kind of band it is. I'm very sure. Oh, yeah, the Radiohead are one of the best bands <laughs> in the world. Like, they're one of my favorite yes. bands. Well, you better stop being having it as a favorite band because two days after, uh, two days before the ni- July 19th, Oscar-nominated filmmaker Mike Lee condemned Radiohead's intransigence towards Palestine. As the lights go out in Gaza and Palestine, um, cancer patients die because they're denied travel permits by Israel, while the Palestinian poet in Israel lives under... Um, how's arrest for a person? Uh, uh, sorry, how's arrest for a poem? She wrote on Facebook, while a young circus performer with the West Bank languishes in ad- admin detention without charge or trial. I was wondering why I couldn't hear uh, me. We might have to repeat um, what we're talking, the whole article. Um, basically, it says I've made a mistake and turned on, on the wrong mic. So Jacob, always la- check the volume. So, um, anyway, let's la- get... <laughs> so we have to re- start from the beginning. We're talking about this article. Um, it's in the latest Green Left Weekly. Um, it's basically in relation to the popular band um, Radiohead um, refusing to basically follow... Basically, their perform- um, basically, they will get a perform in Israel, which they did, um, and they were basically called on by, you know, musicians like um, Roger Waters, who's a very strong supporter of the BDS and the Palestinian cause. Mike Lee. And Mike Lee, um, filmmakers like Ken Loach, um, because it's one of the things, I think just a bit of context here, especially in the case of Radiohead, because one of the main things that Radiohead is getting a lot of pressure compared to, you know, there's, because there's probably hundreds of other bands that actually probably have performed at Israel at some point, um, is specifically because Radiohead are one of the biggest yeah. bands in the world. And it matters. It and, really matters, yeah. you know. And also, in just a bit of context, because I am a, bit of a big Radiohead fan and a ah. bit of context for their music, <laughs> their music in the 90s, especially in the 90s and the early 00s, is very situated in the anti-globalisation movement. So mm. it's actually, a lot of their content is actually very left-wing and quite political. Um, so there's also quite a lot of disappointment um, from, you know, musicians like Roger Waters who, you know, you know, Radiohead is, was seen as like a band, you know, for the progressives and, you know, left-leaning people, but to see them, you know break the picket line, essentially, on the they BDS. They did. cross the picket line. Crossing the picket line is a um, disgrace. And uh, Roger Waters also, you know, there's also the re- actual reaction of Radiohead has actually been quite appalling because Roger Waters actually sent him a letter and Brian, along with Brian Erno, tried, it's all mentioned here in the article, tried to have a conversation, you know, with, you know, Radiohead, you know, about, you know, you know giving the political reasons of why... You know, as musicians, we should not, you know, cross this picket line. And of course, um, Tom York, who's the lead singer of Radiohead, refused to have that conversation and actually kind of, you know, reacted a bit like a bit of a whiny child in response to, in response to kind of the um, the criticisms they received. For yeah, they're, they're saying that oh, we want to keep the conversation going, we want to keep talking to the Palestinians. But you know, this is what they said in in in, in the eighties when uh, apartheid was rife in South Africa. You know, the the it echoes. Uh, the ones used artists um, who took money and crossed the anti-apartheid boycott pickets line to perform for whites in South Africa. This is this is this is exactly the same. You break the picket lines, you 
you are on the side of the oppressor, you are telling the people who are dying with no medical treatment and no jobs and completely under the the atrocious rule of military, the Jewish military or Zionist military in in in, in the uh, Palestinian country, which has shrunk dramatically since 1948, you tell them, oh no no, we'll just talk to the Palestinians, and you think they're going to give up power and say, no, they want to talk to the Jewish people or the Zionist regime, and you think they're going to give up um, uh, power just easily and just because you're nice? I don't think so. I think their determination to break the picket lines has won endorsement from right-wing Israeli media as well. So mm. that tells you that which side of the fence they are on. Yep. And Michael Stipe of UN um, band Rem, who, who like Radiohead York, has championed social justice causes. Roger Waters, Pink Floyd, who's been an outspoken critic of Radiohead's plan to break the boycott. And Omar Bagauti, co-founder of the Boycott, Divestment and Sanction BDS movement. They criticize the artists and performers who believe they are above Palestinian civil society's demands of boycott. Just not good enough. Yes. You know, you don't just make money out of other people's bleeding, for God's sake. You know, yeah. it's torturous. And I think there's, um, just, uh, I want to give a bit of response to this. This is the kind of common, um, this is the kind of common response, um, that, you know, artists such as Radiohead like to bring up when, you know, they get, when they basically, su- basically support the idea of, um, performing in Israel is this idea that, you know, we, you know, art is about building borders, not, not breaking, not, not closing them. But it's sort of like, basically, if you don't support the BDS campaign, you're actually denying the voices of Palestinian artists. You're denying the voices of all these people, all these people who could, you know, the only way that you are going to, you know, open, you know, borders, you know, open up this dialogue is actually by supporting the BDS campaign, this was, supporting this was, the yeah. cause um, for self-determination for the Palestinians. Yeah, what disgusts me, it, 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 this is right in the middle of, a huge crisis, and this is what Maureen Clark Murphy um, uh, writes in, in, in Green Life Weekly. And you know, the three Palestinians were killed and hundreds were wounded on, on last week as thousands protested across the occupied West Bank and Gaza Strip over new Israeli measures infringing on Palestinian worship at the uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque in East Jerusalem. Three settlers were f- were fatally stabbed uh, in the West Bank. And bloodshed followed a week, a week of civil disobedience in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Worshippers performing prayers outside the gates to the um, Al-Aqsa um, Mosque comp- compound were attacked. You know, Israel had ordered Al-Aqsa closed following an armed operation outside the mosque compound last Friday and left three uh, Palestinian at, um, attackers and two police officers dead. The mosque compound was reopened on Sunday, but only after the Israel after Israel had um, unilaterally installed security cameras mm. and metal detectors. Although re- recently it seems they have removed it, but the Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu, <coughs> excuse me, cabinet decided early uh, Friday last week to leave the metal detectors in place, rebuffing dissent from Israel's domestic intelligence apparatus and the body that oversees its military occupation regime both of which are urged a solution that would allow Israel to back down while saving face, but of course not. Um, Israel police, meanwhile, prevented poli- uh, Palestinian men under the age of 50 from um, accessing the site on Friday. So the Al-Aqsa, which um, the Muslim religion holds, is a site from where Prophet Muhammad ascended to heaven during the night journey, is also a touchstone of Palestinian identity. 
Israeli provocations there have um, precipitated major episodes of violence in the past. So unchecked assaults and incursions on um, Al-Aqsa by government-backed extremist Israeli groups that seek to destroy the mosque and replace it with a Jewish temple sparked a wave of protests and violence in the, in the autumn of 2015. There's a, such a long history to mm. the struggle, you know. Uh, witnesses uh, have said that uh, people were shot by settlers in East Jerusalem, um, a, a Jerusalem neighborhood of Razal uh, Amud on Friday. Uh, Sharaf, who was shot in the neck, was reportedly from Silwan neighborhood of Jerusalem. The Ma'an news agency, a Palestinian outlet, reported that Sharaf was quickly buried in effort to prevent Israeli forces from confiscating his body. So Israel frequently confiscates bodies of Palestinians slain by its forces as a means of collective punishment with the stated intention of discouraging funerals that turn into mass protests, mm. withholding the bodies of some type. They, they withhold bodies for months. Mm. They're sick, these buggers, really yeah. sick. Just to give a bit of an update, I oh. think, um, as far as I know, the latest information, which was actually just released, like, I think, 10 hours ago, is Israel um, has actually, the Israel military has actually pulled back on the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, there's a lot of pressure. Um, and, um, but I still think it would be... That might take a bit of heat off this ra- the rally that's coming up um, this Sunday. That's right. Um, but I still encourage, you know, for anyone who supports the Palestinian cause to go to the rally at 1pm, the State Library, this Sunday. And I'll, I'll give a bit of a quick report back um, about the vigil that happened on Wednesday um, in relation to the events that um, Lali spoke about. You know, it was a very a very strong showing. I think around 100 to 150 people showed up. You know, I can't really talk specifics about, you know, the speeches were all good and um, so on. But I think what was most interesting was, you know, you know, there was actually a Zionist counter-rally. Yes, um, I heard about that. And yeah. so what was interesting is just observing it a bit, um, you know, there was like 30, 20 to 30 um, Zionists. But the one of the more interesting things, um, and I'll quote from this, um, one of the last speakers from the vigil, is basically <laughs> they were actually, the Zionists were actually mar- were being marching with, you know, Reclaim Australia. Well, and, well. <laughs> which is, I think, you know, it's a very frustrating thing to see that, you know, a lot of people who would, you know, identify as Jewish, um, who are Zionists, are, you know, in in a position where, you know, they're actually, you know, you have to say to them and say, you're actually marching with the Nazis, with people who (laughs) want to, who want you dead and want you to die. Like, and there's actually an interesting history um, between Zionism and um, Nazism where apparently Adolf Hitler and history actually supported the idea of Zionism because it basically meant that you could purification of the the race. You could put all the Jews in a place where no one wants them, which I think is, Actually, you know, by its nature, Zionism is actually an anti, anti-Semitic. It's a very confused approach they yeah. take. I, I don't know how they find the logic. Yeah. In, where do you find the logic in this? There is no logic. Yeah. And, um, I think, you know, going from the last, um, the last speaker at the vigil, he basically kind of said that, you know, we should, you know, we shouldn't, we should always distinguish between Judaism and Zionism because Zionism yeah. has, you Agreed. know, um, is like a, it's like this is is to Judaism what you know 
whatever it's any other or, religion or fundamentalist yeah. ideologies is to Islam. So and it should we yeah. should never be they're, they're religious wise they're not different. But Zionism Zionism is a different kettle of fish. Mm. It's it's an oppressive, exclusive, um r- almost like a race purification type um organization. You know, it's it it's very close to, to uh, fascism actually. Um so this occupation of Palestinian land is, um, it, it, it always has bothered me that this one country has been formed on the basis of a religious text. Mm. No other country is in that category. And that always fascinates me. And this is with the help of the UN in 1948. That's what is, is sad about this whole thing. It, it brings terrible discredit to the UN. Mm. Uh, but anyway. All right. So oh, um, we'll probably play a quick uh, announcement and we'll, we'll get a, have a discussion maybe about, you know, um, Venezuela and kind of this yes, right-wing threat. Um, we were unfortunately unable to get an interview, but we'll just talk about it. I in know. The imagine having two interviews, phones. Well, normally it's only one. <laughs> yep. So I'll just be playing a quick announcement. Um, and Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Hawthorne, Tatman, Jenkins, Hutchinson, Hirsi Ali and Plumwood. So tune in to 3CR Community Radio 8.55 on your AM dial on Thursday afternoon from 3.30 until 4 o'clock. And let's get radical about philosophy. The Independent and Peaceful Australia Network presents War, Peace and Independence. Keep Australia out of US wars. Amidst an escalating threat of another major war breaking out, this timely conference will be held in Melbourne from the 8th to the 10th of September. The conference will address the struggle against US bases, drone warfare, peace as union business, US political and military influence and much more. For details and bookings, head to ipan.org.au or go to the Independent and Peaceful Australia Network's Facebook page. A 3CR supporter. The 7th Annual Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair is on Saturday, August the 12th from 10am to 6pm. The Book Fair showcases more than 40 stalls and a program of workshops. It's a great opportunity to be introduced to new ideas, to challenge your thinking and to meet with like-minded folk. It's free and we also provide free childcare. At the Brunswick Town Hall on Saturday, August the 12th from 10am till 6pm. Find out more at www.amelbournebookfair.org or find us on Facebook, the Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair. The Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair is a 3CR supporter. Okay, good morning listeners. Um, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, we just had a bit of a discussion about, you know, the current uh, events um, that are happening in Palestine. Um, now we're going to move on to a bit of discussion, um, drawing on articles from the latest Green Left Weekly on Venezuela. Um, so, Lali, you want to kick that off? Yeah, there's lots of information in Green Left, and we've continuously been printing it because of the crisis in Venezuela. But I want to talk about the issue itself and from various uh, media, and there's one one article in an in a, in a online magazine called Portside, which is really very interesting. 
and they say that so far, um, 100 people have been killed as a result of the street protests. Most of these deaths are the fault of the protesters themselves, to the extent that we know, of course. And the possibility of civil war becomes more likely. Um, as the international media media obscure who is responsible for the violence, the international left remains on the sidelines in this conflict and fails to show solidarity with the Bolivarian, uh, Bolivarian um, socialist movement in Venezuela. Um, it's, it criticizes the mainstream media and also it says what's unknown to most consumers of the international media um, would be that opposition protesters detonated a bomb in the, in the heart of Caracas on the 11th of July, wounding seven National Guard soldiers, or that a building belonging to the Supreme Court was burned by opposition protesters on the 12th of June, or that the opposition protesters attacked a maternity hospital on the 17th of May. So this is not even, you know, uh, extreme left-wing media. This is uh, a reasonably progressive um, magazine uh, from the U.S., and it is really interesting that they've they've had to say um, Mm. uh, this about what's happening in Venezuela. And it also talks about the um, elections that have been held and this is something people don't understand I think it's worth going through a little bit about the details of what what the elections are about um, uh, in Venezuela so let's take a brief look at each of the um, stuff here. First the regional elections which are state governors and mayors were indeed supposed to take place in late 2016 but the National Electoral Council postponed them with the argument that political parties needed to re-register first Leaving aside the validity of this argument, the CNE, which is one of the news outlets, of course, the conservative one, re, uh, no, it's the National Electoral Council, sorry, rescheduled the election recently for December this year. This postponement of a scheduled election is not unprecedented in Venezuela because it happened before, back in 2004, when local elections were postponed for a full year. Back then, at the height of President Hugo Chavez's power, hardly anyone objected or even noticed. As for the recall referendum, it was well known that it would take approximately 10 months to organize between its initiation and its culmination. However, the opposition initiated the process in in April this last year, far too late for the referendum to take place in, in, in 2016, as they wanted. But if if it takes place in 2017, there would be no new presidential election according to the Constitution. And the vice president would take over um, for the remainder of the term. Now, in regard to the disqualification of the National Assembly, this was another self-inflicted wound on the part of the opposition. That is, even though the opposition had won 109 seats out of 167 seats, which is 65% outright, they insisted on swearing in three opposition members whose elections was in dispute because of fraud claims. Now, as a result, the Supreme Court ruled that until these three members were removed, most decisions of the National Assembly would not be valid. In other words, none of the arguments against the democratic uh, legitimacy of Maduro government hold much water. Moreover, polls repeatedly indicate that even though Maduro is fairly unpopular, a majority of Venezuelans want him to finish the term in office, which, which expires in January 2019. As a matter of fact, 
Maduro's popularity, which is 24% in March this year, is not as low as several other conservative presidents in Latin America at the most at the moment, such as Mexico's Enrico Pena Nieto has is 17, his popularity is 17%, mm. Brazil's Michael Temer, 7%, Colombia's Juan Miguel Santos, 14%. Now, the, 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 the article says address the possible reasons the international left has been reluctant to show solidarity with Maduro government and the Bolivarian socialist movement. We need to examine what neutrality in this situation would end up meaning, in other words, what allowing the opposition to come to power via an illegal and violent transition would mean. First and foremost, um, their coming to power will almost certainly mean that all Chavistas, whether they currently support Maduro or not, will become targets for persecution. Mm. Um, it was a long time ago. Many Chavistas were Chavistas have not forgotten the Caracaso when in February 18, uh, 1989, then, then President Carlos Andre Perez meted out retaliation on poor neighborhoods for protesting against his government and wantonly killed somewhere between 400 to 1,000 people. Mm. Most recently, during a short-lived um, coup against President um, Chavez in April 2002, the current opposition showed it was more than willing to unleash reprisals against Chavistas. Most do not know this, but during the two-day coup, over, six, over 60 Chavistas were killed in Venezuela, not including 19 killed on both sides on, of the political divide. And this is a lead-up to the coup. The post-election violence in April 2013 left seven dead, and the Gorimbas of February 2014, April, left 43 dead. Although the death count in each of these cases represented a mix of opposition supporters, Shavitsas are non-involved bystanders. The majority belong to Shavitsas' side and political office. Now, what people don't realize is that the, the, the opposition has every intent of implementing neoliberal policies. Mm. Um, it's a, a neoliberal economic program that's on the books along the sides of President Michael Temer in Brazil or, or uh, Ma- Macri in, in Argentina. They must succeed in reducing inflation and shortages this way, but at the expense of elimination of subsidies, social programs, which has been a, a, a hallmark of, of um, Maduro and, and um, Chavez before him, um, and programs of poor access the bo- for the poor across the board. So they would roll back all the policies supporting communal councils, communes that have been a cornerstone of participatory democracy in the Bolivarian Revolution. So instead of silence, neutrality, or indecision from the international left in the current mm. conflict, um, this article demands that the left actually support the Bolivarian Revolution, the socialist movement, uh, and such solidarity means vehemently opposing all efforts to overthrow the government mm. of um, Maduro during his term in office. Yeah, I think um, just, uh, uh, makes just me make mad. a, make a um, <laughs> in, in terms of solidarity, one important way you can show solidarity um, tomorrow is actually um, attending um, the public meeting on Venezuela, which is um, initiated by Socialist Alliance and endorsed by LASNET. Um, I think it might be... What's Um Lesnar is a Latin American sort Solidarity of... Group. Solidarity group. based in Melbourne. Um, and just a one kind of a bit of a 
um, some intel about the meeting. Um, there is likely going to be some right-wing opposition um, that are uh, planning to protest the meeting. They already put up a change.com petition, which got over apparently 500 signatures, calling on the City of Melbourne to basically cancel the meeting. And many of them were not even from Melbourne or yeah. Victoria. And I think really that... Um, there's also even been apparently threats of trying to physically stop people from coming to the meeting, um, whatever. And I think that's really clearly what the opposition actually, you know. Yeah, this, this is ruled by fear. I mean, if if they have nothing to hide, why don't they come up to an honest discussion and talk about it? Yeah. You know, that, that's what that's how most disputes settled by negotiation, by talking, by discussion. Here, they're threatening people. Hmm. What kind of, of of people are well, these people? Well, at least uh, I think. The good thing about the right-wing um, um, Venezuela community in um, in Australia is they're not doing the same thing they're doing in Venezuela, which is throwing firebombs and Molotov cocktails. Well, so, they're well, far from it. Sorry, but so, <laughs> it's so just we're, annoying. We're, we're pretty it's, intim- it's intimidating people into not coming, you know? Mm. You can't do but that. But yeah, I think it's very important that, you know, for people who want to show their support to the Bolivarian regime, um, to Venezuela... Bolivarian revolution. Yeah. And <clears throat> I think there's also an important thing that... I think it's um one of the things is you know a lot of the left has a lot of criticisms of the Maduro government and you know I have my own criticism yeah, of Maduro of but I think you know it's actually that's not actually the issue the main issue is actually the right wing opposition are trying to topple a democratically elected government with the backing of the United States that's the key thing um and you know you you they represent absolutely no positive alternative and of course Maduro popularity has been plummeting, but actually the reality is for the majority of the Venezuelan people, the opposition are even less popular than Maduro. Well, they want to hang on to the gains they've made you know, from the days of Chavez and even some of the Maduro um, you know, policies. So they want to hang on to the gains, and the opposition is not going to allow them mm. to do that. And you know, um, you have to ask the question, why is the opposition resorting to such threats of violence and imitation yeah, in Venezuela? Well, yeah. It's because they actually have no majority support, because that's why they have to resort, um, of course, what the right-wing Venezuelan arguments are. And um, also, they will. haven't revealed their, their policies, you know, and we know that they've got a neoliberal policy um, ready mm. to, to roll, just like the, all the, so many of the South mm. American countries that have been taken over by the right mm. with the U.S. support. And I think, yeah, um, well, one of the interesting things is um, a right-wing Venezuela would say, oh, yes, but the government is repressing us. Well, no, the, the reality is most of the violence what is government? coming from... They are in, the, the right-wing is in government. Maduro is, is, is the president, but the, the government is held by the right. They won 67% of the bloody vote. Mm. They've got majority parliamentarians in government. What are they talking about? Mm. I don't understand why they keep blaming the government when they are the government. Yes. It doesn't make any sense. And, yeah, so it's like, yeah... That's that's just the the reality. And also, the one more interesting thing is, is the right are basically refusing to p- participate in these um, constitute assembly elections, basically on this argument that, oh yes, it's just it's just um, it's all going to be rigged um, in favour of the left. Um, despite the fact that they probably have a stronger history of rigging elections. But, you know, it, it's really interesting. Sorry to interrupt there, Jacob, but it's really <coughs> interesting because um, at the last elections uh, held in Venezuela, Jimmy Carter, one of the conservative U.S. presidents or ex-presidents, um, was in Venezuela as an overseer of the, the election process, and he says Venezuela has one of the most modern, sophisticated, and 
accurate um, voting systems in the world, and they do it by computer. That's that's his description of it. I remember it clearly because wow, that is quite a compliment coming from someone like Jimmy Carter. Yeah, and these guys are talking about corruption. Although, although about? Jimmy Carter, to his credit, I mean he he was terrible as a president, but you know he has been reasonable as an ex-president because you know he is actually a strong supporter of the Palestinian cause so just to give a bit it's of funny what they do when they're in power and, and what they do once they leave power is yeah, so. <laughs> if that happened to Fraser here too but anyway we should go to announcements and um, on to activist calendar yeah yep. uh, hi my name's Sarah I love coming here because they offer vegan food hi my name's Paul I've of my first time at Friends of the Earth. I think it's really awesome and the food's great and really healthy and nutritious. Friends of the Earth Food Co-op 312 Smith Street Collingwood A tuneful experience. A 3CR supporter. Okay, we're on to the section where we have the activist calendar, but events that are coming up. Jacob, you want to kick okay, off? Okay, so the section? first announcement, I announced this early in the program, but you know, for listeners just um, tuning in, there's going to be a rally for Elijah, the young Aboriginal um, boy who was killed um, by a white man in Kalgoorlie. Um, it's going to be happening at 4 p.m. Um, at the Parliament House. Um, That's today, yeah? Yep, today, and it's organised by Warriors of Aboriginal Resistance. So, yeah, highly encourage anyone listening to attend that rally, or at least if you can't, tell your friends about it. Um, you can probably find the Facebook event on Warriors of Ab- the Warriors of Aboriginal Resistance page. Okay, another thing event that's on today is a film screening, Guarding the Galilee, Inside the Fight to Stop the Adani Coal Mine, that's being shown um, at the Community Hub, 180-82 Whitford Street, Broadmeadows, hosted by the Broadmeadows Progressive Association. It's at 6 p.m. There's also a Facebook event on that one, so it'll be guarding the Galilee. And tomorrow we have the, the um, rally for... No, tomorrow. No, oh. no. We have the seminar for Venezuela. Yep, public meeting, um, Venezuela behind the crisis. Um, it's going to feature speakers such as Christina Cru. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Um, she's a Venezuelan journalist and activist, and she'll be video linked from Venezuela. Um, Federico Fontes, uh, Australian Venezuela Solidarity Network and member of Socialist Alliance, and Lucho Recomi, who's a Latin activist who recently returned from Venezuela. Um, so they'll be happening at 2 p.m. Um, at the Multicultural Hub, which is at 506 Elizabeth Street in the city, opposite Victoria Markets, um, and it's initiated by Socialist Alliance and endorsed by Latin American Solidarity Network. Okay, so another couple of things again that's on tomorrow. Um, the screening, the Tarkine in Motion in 2015, over seven, 770 artists spanning film, music, and other disciplines journeyed across the Tarkine as part of the Northwest Tasmania of great cultural and environmental significance. Um, so it's a documentary and um, it's being shown at Fed Square. Flinders Street, uh, presented by Bob Brown. Uh, again, on, on tomorrow, there's a bike rally, burn calories, not coal, cycling through the marginal seats of Melbourne, um, show our MPs we are moving beyond coal. We are changing gears to keep fossil fuels in the ground. Um, start at Michael Danby's office 
in St Kilda and paddled 15 kilometres to Bill Shorten's office in Moneybonds. Not a, not a very long uh, ride. Um, so anyone who can get their hands on a bike and is comfortable riding on the roads the, uh, and bike paths co- uh, at 10 a.m., uh, meet at 117 Fitzroy Street, St. Kilda. And of course, we have the Venezuelan uh, seminar, um, which should be very interesting and, and probably quite exciting, given that opposition may come and have a bit of a rally outside, protest rally. Hopefully, they, don't, they won't get too violent. Sunday, the 30th of July, we have um, screening of the Inconvenient Sequel. An Inconvenient Sequel is by Al Gore. It's another movie, of course. Um, it's a sequel to The Inconvenient Truth, his previous uh, movie. 10.45, Cinema Nova. Um, of course, you can book it in, um, online or buy your tickets there. 380 Lagon Street, Carlton. Right, so the other thing on that's happening on Sunday is um, the Rally for Palestine happening at 1pm at the State Library. Um, also happening, and I've made a few, um, played the announcement a few times, is the Jams for Jobs and Justice. Really important. That's um, <laughs> going to be um, organised by the Australian Unemployed Workers Union, and that's happening at 2pm at the Bella Union Bar. Yep, it's um, important because it's, it raises funds for the union to keep the fight going. Um, so now uh, hang on, the Bella Union Bar is actually a trade hall, corner of Lagon Street and um, Victoria Street. So please turn up for this one. Okay, so the next um, the next announcement is on this Thursday. There'll be a public meeting educating the haves and haves not. What makes a difference? Um, featuring this is a new international bookshop uh, forum, and it features Jane Kenway from um, Professor of Education at Monash, Marie Brennan, Brennan, who's a I think yep a professor at, uh, of education or something like at Victoria University. Um, Lou Zeppin, um, Education at VU, and Janet Rice, Green Senator. So that's going to be at 7pm, Thursday, August the 3rd. Um, on Saturday, August the 5th, there'll be a protest, Stop Turkey's Invasion of Syria, Hands Off Afron, Stop Turkey's War on the Kurds. Um, that will be happening at 1pm at the State Library, and it's organised by Australians for Kurdistan and Kurdish Dec- Democratic Community Centre of Victoria. Now, on the 6th of August... This is another important announcement. Yep. Um, there's going to be a busk for freedom of speech on the corner of Ligon and Elizabeth Street. Um, it's being organised by the Moreland City Council councillor, Sir Bolton, and a group of people who are protesting against the undemocratic laws that are being introduced by the Moreland City Council. Um, it started off being um, a quite draconian in the sense of they wanted to introduce a fee of $300 for anyone who wants to solicit money. In other words, if, you want to, if you're poor and you're begging on the streets, you've got to get a licence for $300. And this was later rescinded and um, altered. But if they're caught, they're going to pay a fine of $500. So it's, it's not getting any better. Um, many uh, amendments were moved to the original proposal by the council, which were totally draconian. Um, and from the looks of it, it the, the amendments were actually worse than the original proposals. So there's a lot to fight for in this battle. So we're starting off the first um, action that is um, busk for freedom of speech. There's, there's a memorial there on the corner of Grand Lion Street, and it says it's got its own own history. So if you want to know more about it, uh, turn up, bring bring your card tables, bring your megaphones, bring your instruments, um, come and have some fun, as well as protest 
um, against the laws that are being introduced by the council. Okay, so um, on Tuesday, the 8th of August, there will be a protest, um, no fees increase. Um, there'll be student fee increase. Yeah, no, no student fee increase. Um, there'll be basically uh, a protest organised by the National Union of Students. Um, that's at 2pm, the State Library. Um, but just to give a bit of extra information about the day. Yeah. Um, Tuesday, the 8th of August, is actually part, is going to be also a part of a, that protest is going to be part of an NTEU Day of Action, um, which also will be, you know, related to um, no fee increases, but also about, you know, the greater issue of casualisation in the university sector. Um, so there'll be actions happening all, at all the different universities, and some of them will go um, to the protest afterwards. So check, um, if you're a member of the NTEU, um, check your, your local kind of NTU branch to find out more info because, um, all the brand, all the universities are doing, are doing some kind of action. Okay. Well, also what's significant is on the 6th and 8th of, um, August, of course, we know is Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombing, um, uh, Memorance Day. And there'll be activities all across the state. Uh, do look um, into Facebook or Google to look out for even got too many to to go through here. Yep. And we have an interview um, at 8:10 to address that anti-nuclear um, movement and uh, positive result that was gained at the UN. Um, so please look out for that and not to forget that the the nuclear weapons are dangerous. Yep. All right. So the last announcement I like to make will be related to um, a conference happening up from August 18th to the 20th, um, the Radical Ideas Conference, Spark. In the resistance, um, it'll be featuring um, guest speakers from. Will be featuring. It'll be featuring a guest speaker from the UK who will be speaking on two sessions related, um, such as lessons from the Corbyn campaign, and we'll also be featuring um, well-known Aboriginal feminist activist Celeste Little on uh, a woman fight back panel on the Saturday. Um, to see the agenda um, and to book tickets, um, you can go to www. RadicalIdeasConference.com Alright, so we'll just play, um, we're going to have our first interview for the program quite um, soon. I'll just play a quick announcement um, before it starts. Wondering how you pay your donation to the 3CR Radiothon? Well, you can do so online at www.3cr.org.au or call us with your credit card details on 94198377. You can also come into the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, during office hours and pay by cash, cheque or FPOS. Or simply post your cheque or money order to PO Box 1277 Collingwood 3066. And be sure to tell us which program you'd like your donation to go to. Good morning, Margaret. Um, Good morning. Thank you for making yourself available to talk to us. Um, oh, and for listeners' benefit, we are talking to Dr. Margaret Beavis from the Medical Association for Prevention of War. And we're going to talk about uh, uh, UN treaties that was adopted recently. So do you want to tell us about it, Margaret? Well, um, we're really uh, very pleased. The United Nations in, on the 7th of July 
adopted a treaty that will ban nuclear weapons. And this puts nuclear weapons on the same footing as chemical weapons and biological weapons, cluster munitions and landmines. And so this is a really important thing because, in fact, nuclear weapons are the worst of all these weapons of mass destruction, but for years they've just been allowed to fly under the radar, if you like, as, as being um, an acceptable weapon, when in fact really the damage they do to civilian populations and to the environment are enormous and long-lasting. So it's really um, wonderful to have them recognised as the appalling weapons of mass destruction that they actually are. Mm. And it's also timely because of the commemoration of um, the bombing of Nagasaki and Hiroshima is about to come on us. And uh, obviously a very important victory. Yes, yes. Oh, it's, it's, it's been a long time coming. Mm. Um, we're very, we're particularly pleased because, in fact, the campaign started here in Melbourne um, for the formation of ICANN, the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, about a decade ago, or just over a decade ago. The Medical Association for Prevention of War um, got together. Tillman Ruff, Felicity Ruby, um, Dimity Hawkins, Bill Williams, others, lots of really good people got together and formed the, this ICANN and then took ICANN from Melbourne nationally and then internationally. And what that did was bring together existing organisations like the Red Cross, like Oxfam, um, many organisations, 440 to be mm, exact. Um, that's by a the large end, number. Mm. In over 100 countries. So what that meant that those organisations could lobby their own countries about how terrible these weapons were. And so we're very to have ICANN as a major player in, in getting this weapon, getting the United Nations vote to happen. We're very excited that it's actually happened after such a long time. Hmm. Must have been an enormous challenge because we have countries like the US, Israel, and even Australia who may not be supporting such moves. What was the politics around those countries? Well, they boycotted the final um, negotiations. The negotiations that happened this year. Um, were boycotted by all the nuclear weapons states, by Australia and Japan, by the NATO states, with the exception of the Netherlands. And the Netherlands were only there because their population forced them to. The, the, the Dutch had a petition of over 40,000 signatures Fantastic. that forced a, a debate mm. in the in the their assembly, and that made them actually go along. So that was very good. But yes, it's been. Um, interesting to see the nuclear weapon states try and discredit this, but then you have to remember that, you know, when it came to slavery, it wasn't the slave owners that got rid of slavery, and it's not the tobacco, right. it's not the smokers who've got rid of the tobacco companies. So, um, I think you need to realise that it's the people outside the, the, the user group, if you like, that are, that are going to make the change, and, and certainly, um, South Africa was interesting, and South Africa last year said that it was felt like nuclear apartheid, that, you know, there was the countries that had nuclear weapons and the rest of the world and it's really finally that the rest of the world has united, gained strength and said enough hmm. So uh, I just want to talk a little bit more about Australia's role because Australia hasn't signed this in fact didn't even involve itself in the negotiations which is really sad um, maybe we should do something like what Netherlands did to the government um, over there in Australia as well, what, what's your association uh, thinking of doing? Well in fact we've We've had two petitions so far, um, one to Julie Bishop, one to Malcolm Turnbull, trying to get um, Australia to sign on, and I, I'm not sure. I think ICANN may even be running one at the moment. Um, what's interesting, Australia actually has quite a shameful record in this uh, area. Last year, when there was the working group, the, the United Nations usually a year before a major 
um, the negotiation has a working group to see what format it should take. And Australia played a really big role in trying to undermine that working group. And so much so that the Australian delegation got labelled the weasels, mm. the head of the weasels. <laughs> so we don't God. have a good record. What <laughs> is incredible, however, is that um, the Australian Labor Party and the Greens both have really good, strong policies on this. Labor and the Greens both support this treaty. So it's really a matter of we'll keep trying to persuade this government, but then I think it's a matter of, of realising that with time, um, governments do change. Yes. And once it changes, then, then a more rational set of decision-making may occur. Mm. But it's sad, though, because I think Australia has just started to export uranium to India just this yes. month. Yes, and I mean... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, well, that's... The irony in that is that there's an Indian nuclear defence expert who said that Australia's uranium... Um, Australia says, oh, this won't go to weapons, but in fact, there are experts in India who have said, well, actually, Australian uranium may not go to weapons, but what it does is it frees up Indian uranium because there's only limited amounts of Indian uranium, so Indian uranium can go to weapons. So to pretend that Australia's sales of uranium to India are not facilitating... The nuclear weapons cycle is 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 um, just ridiculous. Mm. Um, in fact, the J. Scott, the Joint Senate Tre- Committee on Treaties, came out putting really heavy um, conditions on the sale of uranium to India after organisations like ours had lobbied it and other organisations. But in fact, the government has just overridden those conditions, which is also another shameful decision. Mm. Hmm. But it's interesting that um, your association uh, is a medical association for prevention of war. So it is mainly medical staff who are, who started this this uh, group. Yes, yes. In fact, it was started almost 40 years ago, largely by doctors. But we're we're now a much broader group in terms of we have nurses, physios, um, other health workers. So basically, what we're doing, our job we see is to frame war to get people to understand the health impacts of war. The politicians don't want us to think about what happens to people when wars occur. And of course. certainly it's a really a preventable epidemic every time it happens. Mm. But what bothers me is how they prepare young kids to go out and kill at random. That, that in itself is, as a mental health issue, sends shivers down my spine to prime a person to be able to kill at random, um, kill someone you don't know, you, you have never met in your life, and you kill somebody. That It, it, it just... Um, my heart just sinks. That's that's another issue. It's all to do with um, mental health and how they um, manipulate people's brains, I guess, and that's another issue. Um, but tell us about um, the event that you're organising to raise funds for your organisation. Um, hopefully some people may be able to come. Yes, um, in two weeks. So two weeks today um, in Melbourne, um, we're having an event really to celebrate this because uh, we've got speakers, Scott Ludlam coming, and Scott Ludlam actually spoke at the United Nations to the um, plenary session, and Lisa Singh, the Labor politician, who's also worked really hard and very well to try and get this <coughs> ban off the ground. So it's happening on, um, it's called the Disarmament Dinner. It's on Friday the 11th of August at the Metropolitan Hotel in the city. Um, it's $65 and $45 for concession. And if people want to come, all they need to do is put into their search engine try booking. And then once you've got the try booking, go for the disarmament dinner. And it'll come up on their, on their, um, screens. So that's the disarmament dinner with, and we're booking it through try booking, all one word. Mm. So, and we're very, um, yeah, we, we're really, um, extremely pleased that this, treaty has finally happened and the next steps now with the treaty um, will be pressuring divestment so getting 
banks like the Commonwealth Bank, Westpac, ANZ, Macquarie, and in fact, shamefully, even our own future fund invest in companies that um, make nuclear weapons. So we need to get those companies out of nuclear weapons. <coughs> and uh, once we've done that, we also need to work on our government to sign on to this treaty because I think that's the, that's the next step. Mm. And so how can listeners help you with this campaign that you're running? Um, I think with go to the ICANN webpage. Um, there's certainly um, a number of propositions there. One thing ICANN is always looking for is donations because like every organisation, we try and employ staff. I'm on the ICANN board. I should declare a contract of interest. Yes. <laughs> we try and employ staff to campaign. So certainly if you're able to contribute in that way. Or um, there's... there's um, come to our events, um, certainly signing on to petitions, looking out for petitions, so going to the ICANN website, uh, ICANN Australia, into your search engine and seeing what's happening on the ICANN website. There are all ways that people can help. Um, writing letters to the paper, um, just raising the issue with your friends and family to make them realise this ban has happened because it's got very little publicity in Australia. Yes, I know. Um, That's why I thought I, we might have to get you on radio. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. No one's talking about this. <laughs> it's very important. It's a cultural shift. It means these countries that have sort of thought that having nuclear weapons is a source of prestige is now a source of shame, and so it should be. Absolutely. And this is the uh, 72nd anniversary of the atomic bombing in, in Hiroshima and Nagasaki as well, which is um, also important. And um, Yes, there's a number of events happening, in fact, on, on um, Hiroshima Day, which is the 6th of August, yes. um, but next Sunday. Um, I think there's a church service. I'm, I'm just actually getting up the list of my my. Um, there's a church service at um, St Paul's Cathedral. If people are interested in that, at 10:30, there's also a um, MABW organisation will be on outside um, St Paul's Cathedral, handing out information between two and four, having a sort of a vigil and also an information stall. Um, there's also a um, events happening with the Friends of the Earth. Um, happening at 4.30 p.m. and the Friends of the Earth um, in Collingwood, 312 Smith Street in Collingwood. That's right. Yep. And so there's, there's a lot happening. Yep. And also I think the, the um, Unitarian Church also has um, a speaker, Richard Tanter, coming to speak to um, them in the afternoon at 4.30 it's good um, to hear so much awareness and so much yeah, intent yeah, to fight yeah, against yeah, these yeah, nuclear weapons, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, Margaret. It's been very oh, kind of you. Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> thank, thank you. you. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay, so listeners, we've come to the close of the program. Um, thank you for listening. And once again, um, it's uh, we close with the sad news of... Um, uh, Yunapingu's passing away, which is um, a great loss for the nation. But we also have to celebrate his unique music around the world. So, Jacob, do you want to do the honors and play the music? Um, do another song, maybe? But um, yep. I, prefer, I, uh, next program, Beyond Zero, is on soon. This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio, brought to you by the Green Left Weekly Newspaper, which provides a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment first. If you would like to subscribe to the newspaper and get it delivered to your door, you can do so by visiting the website at greenleft.com. 
www.org.au or call 1-800-634-206. For new subscribers, it is only $10 for the first six issues. Repeats of the show and interviews are podcasts on our homepage on the 3CR website. Thank you for listening. You are tuned in to 3CR Community Radio, 855 Digital on the AM dial and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Start sometime. What better place than here? What better?